Tim O'Reilly is one of these people that anytime I get a, a chance to hear them speak, I make sure to uh, to listen and take notes. Um, I think it's remarkable that he started a company over four, what, 41 years ago with $500 of used furniture. And he's run the company the entire time. And now it does uh, reported like 100 to $200 million a year in revenue. So I think he's got a lot of, and it's also rare for somebody to have the same uh, job or I guess like maintain control of the same company for 40 plus years. So I th- again, I think for the, for those reasons, like he, we should listen to him. He's probably has a, in 40 years, you can accumulate a lot of experience that uh, could be valuable to other people. So I just want to run through the notes uh, on this interview that he gave. So he was asked the question, what's one thing you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? He says, value your financial people more than you do. If you're a technology per- person, you tend to think that technology is all that matters. For many years, I was the most sophisticated financial person in my company, but until I had actually had a CFO who was better at it than I was, I was just missing a huge opportunity. So he talks about he hired a CFO. He said she came in and she renegotiated all of our contracts. She shifted many parts of the business and made it way more efficient. In the 1990s, we were always short on cash. And in the 2000s, once we got this real financial discipline, we started putting money back in the bank. We ended up putting tens of millions of dollars in the bank, and it was all about understanding what a powerful lever cash flow is. It was sort of like lacking financial discipline. We still succeeded, but we could have succeeded so much more if we had been running tight from the get-go. And he talks a little bit about his company. He says, we've always been profitable. We were a company that had, start- that had started with no investment other than $500 of used furniture that he used to start the company. That's crazy to me. On our, our average revenue per book in our publishing business was about $250,000 per title. After the dot-com bust, it was about $60,000. So that's terrifying. He's going to talk more about what the experience was of running a business, a, techn- a business focused on technology through the dot-com bust in a minute. Um, and he talks about like make sure you have uh, your the alignment of incentives. Something uh, I talk about a lot on Founders Podcast, especially in regards to uh, the work I've been doing recently about with uh, studying the ideas of Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. So he says, if you think about the portfolio of venture capital as a lab, they're scientists in white coats, and they want the, their various lab cultures to grow fast. So think about their the the various companies in their portfolios that he says they want to figure out which ones are going to be winners. And that's not necessarily the incentive for the entrepreneur. So he always talks about, it's really important to, to decide what kind of company um, that you want to create. And then who do you want to be involved? Think about that before you start something he learned from another founder. He says, Mark Leslie, founder of Veritas talked about the mistake that a lot of companies make on sales, which is they build a giant sales force early He said, look, when you're trying to figure out whether you have the right product or not, you need to bring a very different kind of salesperson. And you only need two or three of them because they're doing discovery. I like this idea about Salesforce is doing discovery for you. And you don't want to scale until you know uh, that it works. Um, He says, I think way more businesses would benefit enormously if they understood that you're not building a financial instrument, i.e. something to exit. You're really trying to build a lasting business because then you have the opportunity to exit if you're really successful. So, of course, you can sell a business 
uh, like there's many different ways to build a business just for sales. But the, the overall point Tim is build, uh, elaborating on here, or trying to get across rather, is if you build a lasting successful business, you have way more options in the future to what you want to do. You can keep the business like he's chosen and just constantly let the the, um, the business value compound over time, uh, become wealthy on the profits of the business. Or if you have a hugely successful business that's generating a lot of profits and you could sell it. But if you're only building a financial instrument, you're kind of locking yourself in prematurely to a, a small handful of outcomes that would be beneficial to you as an entrepreneur. Uh, but he says, and now he's, he's saying that the world we're living in today, it's kind of uh, counter to, to his perspective that you should be trying to build a lasting business. So he says, but we've increasingly gone into a world where it's this self-fulfilling prophecy, where you even go talk to an entrepreneur and you'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, oh, we just raised our money or raised some money. And I go, well, that's not about your business. That's about f- your fundraising. I want to hear them say we have these amazing new customers or our users love us. Why is the first thing out of your mouth how much money you've raised? Now he's going to get to, he gets to the point in the interview where he talks about this harrowing experience that he had going living through the dot-com bust. He says, and this might influence, obviously, why he talks about building lasting businesses, not financial instruments. Uh, I had this really, uh, I had this, uh, this wake-up call with dot-com bust where we shrank by 30%. We were about a $70 million company in 2000. That's the revenue, not that's how much revenue they're making them. And then suddenly we're a $50 million company and we had to lay off a quarter of our staff. It was pretty harrowing. It was the one, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. He's got this really good idea he learned from somebody else. He says a business model is the way all of the parts of your business work together to create customer value and business advantage. So he gives us an example of two companies in the same industry that have vastly different business models. Here's an example. Southwest Airlines and United. They bro- they're both airlines, but they have completely different business models. United has this hub-and-spoke model. Southwest is all point-to-point. United does baggage handling. Southwest doesn't. They won't forward your baggage from one flight to another. They, meaning Southwest, has done, have done all these things that make them able to be the low-cost airline. It is just a really great way of forcing you to think about what makes you special. What is the source of your value? Uh, and he goes back to reflecting on the lessons he learned from the dot-com bus. He says, you thought the dot-com bus was the end. It was actually clearing out the people who had the wrong business model. It's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, his definition of leadership. Leadership is showing what's possible. Um, he also believes that you should create more value than you capture. And his, his reason is really interesting. Create more value than you capture because when you, when you make opportunity for others, you can grow with the market. And then he has this great quote by this guy. I'm not even gonna, his name's Antoine de Saint. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, and I think this applies to leading other people, to uh, marketing your product, uh, to, even pro, to, in your day-to-day life. This idea of focusing on well, let me just read it to you. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. 